This is the beginning of our Greatest Hits Fall Sermon Series, a series in which we'll be exploring the ways in which both music and scripture uh, forms a sort of soundtrack for life. Today's scripture is one of these, and it recounts one of Jesus' most iconic miracles, turning water into wine. But the most noteworthy thing about this event is that it's also Jesus' first miracle. You see, in this second chapter of the Gospel of John, well, Jesus hasn't actually done all that much just yet. He's been baptized, he's wandered around a little bit, he's collected a handful of disciples, but his real ministry is yet to begin. And so, friends, the text begs the question, why wait? Why wait any longer? As Morgan Freeman once said in the Shawshank Redemption, you'd better get busy living or get busy dying. And Jesus isn't ready to die just yet. So we might as well enjoy the party. A reading from John chapter 2. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. (laughs) And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Here with the Spirit is saying to the church, Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you and you alone. And may they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I was on a plane coming back from Africa, a mile above the Atlantic Ocean, when I decided that I was going to marry the woman who would become my wife. I'd been away on a trip, traveling with a man from this church who had actually established a school and an orphanage in Uganda. That's a long story for another day. Suffice it to say, I was really homesick, and I was struck with this sudden conviction, an epiphany, clear as day, just as the British Airways stewardess was cleaning up after the in-flight meal. I was going to ask Angela to marry me. Why wait any longer? 
I'm not exactly sure what spurred this decision. It may have been because I'd been away from her for two weeks with hardly any cell service and I missed her terribly. Or maybe it was the dream that I'd had when I had fallen asleep on the plane. A vivid recollection of a wedding celebration that had yet to be. Everyone I knew and loved was there together and Angela and I were together and it was the most blissful dream a man could ever hope to have this side of heaven. Or maybe, just maybe, I was inspired by the song that I'd been listening to over and over again while I was on this trip. It was the soundtrack of my journey, its rich harmonies reverberating in my soul. The song, of course, was Toto's Africa. (laughs) Recorded in 1981, a synth-heavy power ballad about a man who's been separated from his love by the distance of an ocean. At least that's how I interpreted it. The lyrics are really pretty strange and cryptic, something about wild dogs on Mount Kilimanjaro, but the song did offer me a bit of prescient wisdom as I sat on that airplane. I stopped an old man long the way, hoping to hear some long-forgotten words or ancient melodies. He turned to me as if to say, Hurry, boy, she's waiting there for you. Who said that? Thank you. Thank you. Don't leave me hanging up here. I know you know the words. When Angela and I finally did get married a year or so later, right here in this very sanctuary, it was as if my dream had come true. It was easily one of the greatest days of my life and certainly one of the greatest celebrations that I'd ever attended. It was just as I dreamed it. All of the people I loved together in one place where the water, I'm sorry, where the wine flowed like water and joyful music filled the air. Of course, I slipped the DJ a little something to make sure that he played Africa during the party. As we danced, the singer crooned. I'm not even going to try to sing this one. It's going to take a lot to drag me away from you. There's nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do. I bless the rains down in Africa, whatever that means. (laughs) Music plays such an important role in our lives. The songs that we listen to, they move us, they inspire us, and they somehow manage to articulate our deepest fears and longings in ways that few other things can. If our lives were a film, they would surely have a soundtrack, a a series of compositions that score some of our most memorable scenes. I'll bet you can still remember what was playing at the middle school dance when someone someone finally invited you onto the floor. Don't let the sun go down on me. Collaboration between Elton John and, uh, what what was it, who was it? George, George Michael. That was the one. I bet you can still remember the very first album that you convinced your parents to buy for you or that you scraped and scrounged to purchase for yourself. And I know you could tell me about the first concert you went to. What was on the radio when you enjoyed your first kiss? What album was it that you listened to over and over again when someone broke your heart? What did you dance to at your wedding? I still remember the the first time I got behind the wheel of my own car, an 86 Nissan Maxima. 
and I had a shoebox full of cassette tapes in the passenger seat. And as I slammed my foot down on the gas, I punched a copy of Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction into the cassette tech, roaring down the street while, of course, properly adhering to the speed limit, <laughs> naturally. These songs that we come back to over and over again, they, they orchestrate our lives. But they aren't the only landmarks, the only touchstones that we rely on. Our favorite scriptures accomplish that too, those texts that we come back to over and over and over again for inspiration and for sustenance. Whether it's the comfort of the 23rd Psalm or the humble beauty of the Beatitudes, the mournful wailing of the book of Job, or the epic stories of liberation found in Exodus, the Gospels with their challenge to love our enemies and their promise of resurrection in this life and the next. Whatever texts we cling to, they set the tone of our lives, a little like the music that comprises the soundtrack. These are the proverbial top 40, the greatest hits of our faith. Now, the wedding at Cana, in which Jesus famously turns water into wine, is one of these well-worn and beloved texts. It remains one of Scripture's greatest hits, I think, because it sort of gives us permission to let our hair down and just have a good time. It's a text that reflects the real joy of being a Christian, reminding us that faith isn't just about sacrifice and dogma and prohibitions against dancing and playing cards or doing anything remotely fun, within reason, of course. My wife gave me a funny card for my birthday. It was a photograph of a clergyman sitting behind the wheel of his car, speaking to a police officer who had pulled him over. If you've only been drinking water, Reverend, then how come you smell like wine? The officer asks the preacher. And as you open the card, the minister replies, good Lord, he's done it again. No, this, this text about the wedding in Cana is not an excuse for partying too hard, but rather it encourages celebration as an expression of gratitude. There's so much more going on in this text. It, it offers us more than just permission to have a good time. In fact, it seems as if Jesus isn't having a very good time at all. As the story goes, Jesus and his friends have been invited to this wedding. Now, we aren't told whose wedding it is, but given that his ministry had hardly begun and Jesus wasn't especially well-known, and given that his mother is also there, we can probably assume it was a relative or a friend of the family who was getting married. This may have been the sort of function that Jesus felt obliged to attend rather than someplace he really wanted to be. Regardless, he doesn't seem to feel like celebrating. When the wine runs out and his mother suggests that he do something about it, Jesus replies sullenly, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? Jesus seems content to sit there drinking his lukewarm water, forgoing the festivities to ponder the important matters that always weighed so heavily upon him. It reminds me of a wedding that I attended when I was much younger, when my father uh, married my stepmother, Louise. 
I was only about 12 years old at the time, and Dad and Louise really did their best to try to include my brother and I in the celebration. We both served as groomsmen for my father, and they told us that we could each choose two songs for the DJ to play at the reception. Now that was a really bad idea. Um, <laughs> because you see, my brother and I were burgeoning music snobs who thought that we could hijack the playlist with epic prog rock anthems from bands like Yes and Pink Floyd and Rush. Between the two of us, we managed to select four songs that added up to about 85 minutes <laughs> of self-indulgent synthesizer solos. Needless to say, the DJ did not play a single one of them. He played everything you'd expect to hear at a wedding, everything from classic disco anthems to the chicken dance. Our only saving grace was that the Macarena hadn't been invented yet. My brother and I brooded quietly in the corner like the angsty adolescents we were. It's not that we didn't want our dad to remarry. We loved Louise. We still do. Louise is fantastic. It's just that we were too cool for school, as the saying goes. While everyone else was dancing and having a great time, we sat there at our table, drinking water and rolling our eyes at everything the DJ put on, annoyed that he refused to play Yes's 1973 prog rock opus, Tales from Topographic Oceans, in its entirety. You know, sometimes even in the midst of a party, we don't always feel like celebrating. Sometimes it takes a little encouragement to remind us that we have a lot to be grateful for, a lot to celebrate. Mary encourages Jesus in this way. Presumably, he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. But when she encourages him to turn water into wine, she also helps him to change his worry into something more hopeful, to transmute his angst into joy, to listen to a more cheerful song. You know, something that you can really dance to. Today, our church is celebrating. We're celebrating a century of extravagant welcome. 100 years ago, in 1919, we opened these doors to the community. We rang our mighty bell and we invited people into worship with open arms. We went out and we forged partnerships with other ministries, organizations like PADS and bridge communities that serve the homeless. And we established, uh, well, we established bridge communities even, and, and we worked to uh, build countless relationships. We even housed the first local library here. All of these efforts are worth celebrating on this 100th anniversary. But wait a minute, some of you may be wondering. Didn't we celebrate our 150th anniversary just a few years ago? Well, indeed we did, good sir and or madam. <laughs> our church is actually 157 years old. The congregation, that is. I mean, not all of you, but, you know. <laughs> the, the building is 100 years old. And frankly, we'll look for any excuse to throw a party around here. And boy, we've had some good ones, haven't we? Casino nights down in Pilgrim Hall, galas at the Morton Arboretum, picnics at Lake Illin, and a thousand backyard barbecues and cocktail parties. Does anyone remember that, uh, that murder mystery dinner we had a few years back? Man, that was a weird night. 
I don't remember who killed who with the candlestick, but I do remember that I found myself racing around the fellowship hall on the back of a toy horse for some reason that I can no longer recall. Those were good times. And we've got plenty more to come, but we don't have to wait to celebrate. That's what this scripture teaches us. Before he turns the water into wine, Jesus protests to his mother, my time has not yet come. But Mary realizes that we don't have to wait for our time to come. We don't have to wait for the big promotion or for our long-awaited ship to come in. We don't have to wait until the world turns around or for our leaders to get their act together or for peace on earth. We don't have to wait until the weather cooperates. Even if it's raining, friends, we are going to turn that water into wine. Now, I'm not suggesting that we blissfully ignore the world's troubles, fiddling joyfully while Rome burns around us. I read an article recently about the state of the world's affairs, and the author wrote this. If you're going to party when the world is burning, you're not going to want to do it with people too busy pretending that everything's fine. When the world feels like it's on fire, you need consolation, you need solace, you need to hold hands in righteous fury, you need to laugh in despair. You want to be with the people who are expressing themselves truest, best, most passionately and fiercely. You want to be with the punks, poets, rebels, and dreamers. You want to be at First Congregational Church of Glen Ellen. And you want to be with Jesus. And with a little help from Mary, Jesus teaches us that when we choose to celebrate, and it is a choice, we choose joy over despair. We choose gratitude. We choose hope, trusting that our efforts aren't going to let this world burn down. We choose to live where even the water tastes like wine. When Angela and I were married here, the members of this church showed up in force to celebrate with us. Devoted volunteers organized what they called a parade of cakes, more than a dozen of them. And they made sure that I sampled every last one of them. And as Angela and I danced later that night, that song from Toto echoed Mary's wisdom, reminding me that we should never hesitate to celebrate Hurry, boy, it's waiting there for you. Amen.